Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Sour and Sass. I'm very excited today to be joined by the VP of Product Marketing at Genesis, John Clark. Welcome to the show, John. Garrett, nice, uh, happy to be here. We're excited to have you, man. Well, I want to do something different today, a little surprise for you. It is Sour and Sass. I want to start with Sour Candy today from the very, very start before we even get into the first question. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Going for the top on this the pre-show. <laughs> Blue raspberry. Blue raspberry? All right. I've got this like green thing, I think. All right. Let's see what happens. Oh, man. It's going to be very sour today. So I was telling you this before, and I wasn't just pumping you with gas. I think you have the best website I've ever seen uh, in SaaS. And it's not because you got parallax or really shiny features. I think you've uh, developed it from what I can see with this hypothesis of customer centricity and you actually pulled it off. I think a lot of us try to do that, but we don't challenge a lot of hypotheses that make us less customer centric. And I want to ask you about one I saw that stood out to me, which is you have four call to action, five technically, right? So you've got pricing in the menu and on the hero page, you've got four call to actions below. You've got request a quote, mm -hmm. you've got request a demo, you've got free trial, and the one I want to ask you about, design your solution. So does the design your solution actually work? It does. Actually, it's one of our highest performing. Really? Um, yeah, it is. It is. So it ties to a, uh, to a blueprint. Um, I think it's all, you know, just, just going to sort of back to the, uh, the sort of five key areas. And, and the sort of bias centricity. I think it's really important that you understand where your buyer is in the process. And certainly when they come to your website, you know, you have no idea of that. Um, no, we like to control them. We like to tell them, here's the one thing you can do, right? We just like to control them as marketers. Why, why is that bad? Because I think they're all different stages of the buying cycle. You know, we, we, we've got to be empathetic to where they are uh, and what their needs are and not making presumptions from a, uh, from a marketing perspective. So offering up an array of choices that sort of say, well, where are you? Well, like, what are your needs? Let's start with your need and let's design an experience around that becomes really critical. For some of those, they want to know sort of, okay, I understand your, your portfolio, I understand, you know, matches to my needs. But a big uh, question is like, how do I get there? How do I sort of approach this? What do I start with first? Where do I go from there? What do I need to be successful, et cetera? And I think that's where the uh, the blueprint comes in and is, uh, is really effective in aiding them in sort of mapping out their journey. So um, that's where I think the blueprint, you know, sort of stands on its own in terms of that, that um, ability for the customer to be self-directive, but at the same time for us to be, you know, additive to their, um, their experience and helping them through uh, their journey or along their journey. I loved it. You know, By the way, I've got some uh, raspberry finally coming through yeah there's not a lot of like sugar it's like dow chemical and sour and then there's like a little bit of fruit at the end you're like oh that's not yeah worth exactly it. <laughs> worth it worth it in the end <laughs> so now the reason i liked it it made this because i'm a finance guy and i like psychology i get a little excited when i start to play with it because like all of us who have platforms right at the end of the day genesis is a platform that has multiple use cases and all of our goals, whether we explicitly tell our customers or not, and we obviously don't, is how do we expand revenue? Like how do we increase our average order value? 
I thought the design your own solution was so creative because I didn't realize as I was building my little basket how much item costs. All right, so I was at a grocery store with no stickers until I got to the checkout. And I thought that was really, really innovative. Have you seen that the design your own solution increases product uh, expansion slash adoption as well as average order value? Uh, um, I, I haven't seen anything that's specific to that. Yeah. Um, but I do think that it's important that we understand or that our buyers understand that, you know, just because they, they may have multiple needs, but it doesn't mean that the um, the order sort of has to grow, you know, commensurate with the expansion, that there is additional value add, like, hey, you wanted this, but then you added that. Well, you didn't, you did or didn't add anything incremental to achieve that. And I, th I think that gives them some confidence, almost in the reverse of what the sort of um, the goal is from a from a um, provider solution provider is the fact that I can I can make choices along the way about sort of limiting the scope of what I implement, limiting the cost impact to that, yeah. but also expanding the value uh, that I'm deriving from that. So, what more can I get from the value that I've already got. And that's a, a key part. You know, I've got um, one of my team who's focused exclusively on customer marketing. And, you know, this is from a product marketing perspective. I sort of bifurcate and say, I've got, you know, one person focused on new logo acquisition, but I've got another one focused on customers. And there, there's a sort of dual objective, but the primary objective for, the, for this person is make sure that we continue to, um, you know, show the value that customers are making in us is being delivered back in some sort of incremental value. So help them understand that future opportunity, uh, help them understand that the money that they pay us is actually going into value add back to them. It's not going into our, you know, pockets. And I think that, you know, that's particularly important when you look at a SaaS world, because, you know, you want to make sure that they're continuing to get value you know, continuously. Otherwise, there's no reason for them to stay on board. So it's even more applicable, I think, in a SaaS world than it is in, a, in you know, other areas of technology. Well, along those lines, I was going to ask this later, but I'll ask it now. I love the focus of integrating innovations into your why Genesis statement. And I don't think enough of, like, it's something I'm actually trying to steal from SaaS companies when I think about an agency, right? One of the reasons you hire an agency is you want continued innovation and economies of scale across working in many industries, many accounts, and more testing, more thought process, and you should be on the cutting edge. One of the reasons you use a SaaS company instead of building internally is that they can invest more into research and development, economies of scale, and innovate faster than you could potentially internally. So what have you found the value of, you know, really showing like your winner innovations and things like that into your marketing? Like what, what does that drive for you and why would you encourage others to do it or not? Or kind of what's your, what's your stance on that? Well, the first thing I'd say is, you know, back to what the point that I just made, it shows your customers that you're taking the money, that the, the, the sort of hard-earned money, and you're putting it back into them, yeah. Yeah. okay? That's, That's number one. The second thing, though, is that, and, and uh, looking at the sort of customer experience world, you know, if, if we look at total IT spend, right now, you know, digital transformation represents somewhere between 18 and 24, 25%. Okay. That's expected to grow to 33%. So massive investments are being shifted from sort of operation into transformational uh, initiatives. Yeah, and that's total IT spend. So we're talking you know, trillions of dollars globally. When you look at where that money is going, 
a vast majority, number one priority for boards of directors, for CEOs, is into customer experience. Yeah. So you take that sort of increased investment, increased pressure, and then you sort of start to look at, at from a from a customer perspective and say, so what does that translate into their world? Well, it translates into ideas that may or may not succeed. Yeah. Okay, the fail fast mentality. I think in that context, what you have to do is you have to continue to show your innovation because you have to continually evolve and make sure that people understand what you've got so that as they're experimenting, you know, as they're building a proof of concept, that they can rapidly employ your technologies into their innovation agenda. And then as they sort of shift from um, proofs concept into scale, that you're the right solution. Because very often, you know, you may find that a customer starts off with an idea, goes to a proof of concept, but they're limiting that to a particular geography. You know, we're going to test it out, one city in Europe, one city in North America, one city in Asia. So we need something that can, you know, help us in those areas. But only if it succeeds are we going to then go and sort of maybe rip out that um, that API or something like that, replace it with one that has global coverage. So you've constantly got to be relevant to your uh, to the innovation agenda of your uh, customers. I love that. That in turn means that you've got to be able to sort of say, you know, like here's the here's the new capabilities that we're adding. Because what you knew of us yesterday and what your needs were yesterday are completely different today. So continuing to remain relevant. I love that because, I mean, that's like I was on an ATS system, Jazz. I was on from two years. I got nothing. Like the product I bought was the same product I had two years later. And mm -hmm. I changed to Lever because I could go look at their product roadmap and I could understand, okay, they're actually investing and this product's going to grow with my organization, right? I'm hiring, you know, let's say for us right now, I feel like we're hiring about 25 people a month. Okay, well, that means a large chunk of our budget is going into talent acquisition and recruiting. And I want to make sure I have the best tool alongside me to get increasing returns on this investment. And I think you all do a great job of demonstrating that. And it would give me a lot of contact confidence as a buyer to say, okay, this is a product I want. But I just don't see a lot of people integrating that to the front end of their website. It's like hidden. It's you know what I mean? It's like my thing is it's like the app store. You know when you like update one of the apps on your phone and you can see that release notes? For somehow that concept didn't translate to B2B and enterprise despite B2B and enterprise being humans just like individual app consumption. So I absolutely love what you're doing there, to be honest. Yeah. Actually, let me just sort of follow up on that because yeah. to the point that you're making about sort of promoting innovation, one of yeah. the uh, – we just ran our, our customer event. Uh, and the number three session was actually one – that was focused on what you can do with, or did you know you could? Mm -hmm. Without, so we had three of these, you know, for each of our different product portfolios. And surprisingly, one of the one of the um, one of those product portfolios, the did you know you could session was was number three in terms of our um, of our uh, participation and ranking, uh, and that was sort of even ahead of the roadmap ones. So they were really looking at sort of understanding what incremental value they could derive from the investment. Not necessarily what I, this is what you say you're going to be delivering, et cetera, but they really wanted to sort of know what they were missing out on. And I think that was a real sort of, um, you know, valuable lesson in terms of the, the points that you're making there. No, and I, I mean, I, it's that sad thing when we survey our customers, like me, I have like five product lines. I bet my customers on average only know about three of them, right? And I think all of us 
struggle with that and we all have to do a better job there so i'd love to hear that now going back to the ctas you've got a trial it's not really a trial talk to me about this okay so when i think i get a trial i'm gonna sign up give you my information and boom i'm in your platform and i get to play around with it do what's your goal there because it's like this thing where i felt like it was product led but it's kind of still sales led but with a different offer but it's like i get to use it but i don't really get to use it like you and i kind of like a trial to use like what's your take on that and kind of this product led growth where the world's going to a certain extent and then kind of how you're trying to fit into that yeah so so, so clearly you know we want to provide a, a you know um experiential environment where the customer can understand what it is i, I think that's you know really important that you have you know clear um you know differentiation here's what we you know what separates us um that solves common problems because you know if it's something that happens infrequently who cares um but it's also going to be experiential like how do i know that it exists how do i know what it's going to feel like that's really important uh and certainly those sort of three elements uh what i take in terms of you know making sure as we design our sort of content strategy that we employ those sort of three characteristics so uh trial environments are really useful in terms of giving somebody uh that experiential environment i call it the magic moment right that moment yeah. self-identify yeah. and say yes this is finally what i finally the solution to the pain i've been having this is it right like i call it the magic moment of your product it, exactly exactly now it's a it's you know, you know that's a good fit in certain types of of applications it's unclear to us at the moment whether or not you know contact center buyers uh particularly at sort of the enterprise end of the scale actually can get that real experience as it is so we're, we are playing around with that from the sort of you know here's a here's an instance of the environment yeah. go and imagine your one you know here that's sort of preloaded with data to the other end of the spectrum which is you know a proof of concept or some sort of sales engagement. And so we're, we're sort of playing with different um, versions of that, but I think it's what we're finding is that it's a bit more tailored to like companies, especially when you're talking about large enterprises, um, really there's a lot yeah. more nuance to it than just sort of like, hey, here's an account login and experience because you know traditionally it's not the agent who will, the agent will experience it, but it's not the agent who's actually buying, you the know, buys it doesn't experience it. So you have this exactly. kind of, exactly. and I think I just thought it was interesting. So I was like, I don't know if they're going to keep this one forever. Cause I just looked at yeah. like, no, no. their, their acquisition cost is going to be too high. They're not going to get enough of an activation rate because it's a platform, not a tool. I just thought, I was like, ah, this one's a tough one. If I run the financial, it is a tough one. It is tough. Yeah. And, and you, you've called out exactly, you know, some of the things, you know, so we are monitoring it and making you know decisions about you know what form does it take do we continue it what form does it take what best serves the the, the buying experience and then trying to align with that yeah no, i love that though i love the transparency around it too now <laughs> no one ever talks about this no one challenges it we all do it so i want to just maybe challenge it for a second you got gartner on your website you're yeah. a leader but you're not a sole leader you got nice sitting right there. They're technically higher than you, but they're not to the right. They're above, right? They're, but you're like, because I find this a weird dynamic, right? Every SaaS company that we work with wants to use the Gardner, the Forester, the GT report. And very rarely are they the furthest on the top right by such a large margin that they're like the obvious choice instead of a great choice amongst other good choices. 
Yep. Right. Just, but then I also can't include their competitors on like a landing page and talk about their competitors, despite them placing their competitors on their Gartner report on their homepage. So it's just like really weird. Like we don't talk about our competitors, but we use Gartner as all our number one sales enablement asset where it talks about all our competitors. So can you maybe break down for me kind of your perspective of Gartner, the magic quadrant and what it does for your business? Well, certainly it's, it's you know, the most widely read, um, you know, and so that has a big impact. But where does it have an impact? It's not an, it, you know, it doesn't have a typically a, a, an impact in final selection. It has it in terms of like, who should we be, you know. I'm going to talk to three companies who are the three. Yeah, exactly. We're building a shortlist. So, so I think that's the first thing to understand is sort of, where does it serve you and where doesn't it serve you? Because I think there's a misconception that sort of it's the panacea and like if you're the leader, then you're sort of, you know, your goal and you're, that, that's going to drive all marketing. And that, maybe that's the way they'd sort of like you to believe it. But, but I think it's important to understand how buyers use it. Then secondly is, you, you know, it's a great point and, you know, I'll leave it at that. But here's my point, um, though. If we go back to yours. We're around right, the corner from the publication me. of the next one. Yeah, yeah. But, but I think that you've got to be really mindful about how you present it. And, you know, the, the, the sort of obvious choices are sort of chest thumping, where the leader, you know, et cetera. I think the it's really important to understand what this means from a from a buyer's perspective and to align to that. And, and in the past, what I've used is, um, you know, looked at the dimensions and looked at sort of beyond the what Gartner has said about you or what Gartner has said about your competitor. And are there other opportunities that can create advantage for you? So a good example, you know, back, um, you know, this is going back a number of years now, but there was a magic quadrant where in reading it, there was a call out with regard to the number of available quality resources at like nine of 13 vendors, okay? And so we were IBM and we had just been acquired, you know, as a Trireger, we were acquired by IBM. So we had monstrous scale through the IBM global services uh, business, far beyond what was a, you know, a set of much um, smaller accounts. So what I took was the opportunity to say, Gartner's calling out the fact that this is a market of scarce resources. Yeah. So as you evaluate vendors, look for ones that have a volume of high quality, um, you know, resources in the geographies that you need them to be. Yeah. Okay. And sort of playing to some of those sort of strengths of what we had available. We also had, you know, and, and promoted with our customer, you know, in, in sales opportunities, the fact that we had training programs that were scaling up even more of these resources. So we didn't just have the resources, we had a plan on how we were gonna have more and more and more, and that was gonna create the, the difference. So you can look at your position in the magic quadrant, but I think you've gotta look at what the report says about the market and look for opportunities around what, what buyers are saying are problems and then sort of grounding your um, differentiation against Gartner based on those, those criteria. That's the way I've sort of always looked at it um, rather than coming in and saying when I'm one, because you may be one, number one on the out, outright 
And that's great. You've got that, and I've been in that situation before. You might be on one dimension but not the other, and you might find that that switches. Mm-hmm. You know, so you've got to be careful about how you position when you just go strictly off, yeah. you know, what you see. With a visionary leader, okay, but what if you're not next year? With a you know leader and ability to execute, but what if you're not next year? I love that. And Brian, you got to clip that because I think it's some of the best insights I've seen on Gardner. Now, this is sour and sass. Are you ready? <laughs> let's go. I'm going for the extreme sour. All right, let's do it. Nah, let's I'm go. What a melon. All right. Now, when I hear something that I think triggers my logical brain, I have to follow up. Oh my God, this is so much worse. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, you said, this is how people treat it. And I've never even I caught this. I don't want to challenge this hypothesis. You said, when a buyer's trying to understand a marketplace or a category and the player's in it, Gardner's really useful. And I completely agree. Now, the irony is when you put it on their webs on your own website, though, they've already identified you. Okay. So are we actually hurting ourselves potentially? Like, I know no one ever says that, but psychologically, because I get it. That's why I believe in third-party review sites, because I'm doing this category search, right? Best contact center. And I discover Genesis. And then I choose Genesis. But then you tell me about all these other people after I chose you. And then so you do potentially is decrease your close rate, decrease my propensity to buy, lengthen my sales cycle, then introduce new competitors that I wasn't even aware of because I already knew about Genesis, but I didn't know about these people. Is that... Is that a potential thing? No one ever talks like that. I don't know it if does, like that. But, but I think you got to, you just got to understand. So, so I think that there's two areas that um, Gartner provides. And listen, it's not just exclusive to, to Gartner. I mean, I think that the, this comes down to, you know, whether it's a, you know, wave or a, you know, it doesn't matter what, who the analyst is or what the, um, what their sort of um, proprietary model is. Yeah. We, we've got to appreciate and understand that you know buyers 76 percent of them have engaged with solution providers before solution providers engage with them so i think we're naive to think that we're interested control competitors yeah you know yeah that we're introducing competitors where i think that there's real value in these in these um particularly when you when you're in the leaders sort of dimensions of it is shaping the requirements um around what's important and so spending time in that area as a product marketer is really time well spent. Yeah. Secondly, I think that the, um, the opportunity that these providers to take off the, um, the other types of, of softwares that a, a, a buyer may be considering. Mm. And, and I'll use the analogy of buying a car. Yeah. Um, that's C-A-R. Uh, no, I heard you. <laughs> I get a lot of you going, what, what was that word that he said? <laughs> a vehicle. Um, but the, um, you know, when we go to buy a, a new vehicle, our aperture is wide. Like, are you going to look at it? Hey, maybe I'll think about a, I don't know, a two-seater, you know, like, is it a third car? Maybe. Or, um, what about an SUV, though? Because we've got a minivan right now. So the aperture goes really wide. Classes of software, classes of vehicles. And, and it's then very quickly closes down to say, nah, nah, that's totally impractical. 
you know, we need seven seats, etc. Okay, we'll check. then we're down in minivans and things. Oh, but now we need ones that have buckets. It's going to be hard to get in the back. So now we need a seven-seater with bucket seats, right? And now we've like... Well, no, now you're getting into the differences between one model and another. But what I'm saying is the classes. So I can be looking at, you know, CRM software or, well, you know, a, a contact center software, a maintenance management software, an IT service management software, they all have fundamental sort of capabilities of, you know, we have requirements coming in, we need to identify the resources that are going to go solve those, and then we need to deploy it. But they fundamentally offer at a detail level a lot more capabilities. They all sort of handle the same fundamental things. Yeah. So, so Gartner Magic Quadrants and other um, quadrants give you the perspective of a, able to sort of frame and say, no, what you really need is a CMMS system or a facility management system or an IT service management system or a contact center solution or at the exclusion of these other categories. And then you can start to get into, oh, and by the way, these are the, the companies that you, sh that you should be considering in your shortlist. So, so long as you're in the top three, four, I think it's worthwhile using them to define category you know, close the aperture and close it where you're one of the participants. Whether you're the leader or not is going to be inconsequential at the end. That's going to now be up to you. Yeah. And, you know, how much you, or how you can differentiate, differentiate yourself from your uh, competition, which comes down to alignment to bias. I love that. Now, you do something else that's really unique in my mind. And you... You've introduced a better menu infrastructure than I've seen most. And what I mean by that is you start with solutions, then you get to cap you have products, but you don't actually talk about products. You first talk about capabilities. Yep. And then even when I get to resources, you break all the resources categories instead of like blog, ebooks, white papers into jobs to be done and outcomes. What, what was the model here? And when you thought about how you articulate Genesis, where you had such a what I call customer-led approach, where you're focusing on articulating outcomes and value propositions, not like input statements of this is this, this is that, but instead this is what this accomplishes for you. So, so let me start saying, you know, we view our website as, as sort of a continuous improvement project. Um, what, you're look, what you've seen is our most recent, and it's, and it's literally only a couple of weeks old, but it was very, very... Um, you know, much intended to deliver on some of the objectives that you talked about. And, and primary to that is sort of provide an empathetic, uh, aligned buying experience for our customers. So, um, you know, making sure that we were articulating first and foremost, you know, the domains in which we can provide, you know, how we look at the world and so where you can see yourself fitting in. Yeah. What are your needs? You know, is it contact center? Is it workforce engagement, et cetera? So the, the capabilities... And from there, then saying, if this represents your needs, here's sort of the um, the capability and what differentiates us as a company. And here are some proof points that show we can deliver this for you. And then, by the way, the products become the enabler of how we deliver that value across, you know, for you and for other customers. And we have multiple different offerings that can solve for that same need you know say contact center software and so now as you explore each of those offerings you can understand sort of what separates those 
which are you know sort of at a sort of fundamental sort of um, technology because it's less about which features. There's a lot of feature parity. It yeah. more comes down to you know what sort of are your needs focused on a particular cloud provider? Are they focused on particular sort of compliance issues, etc.? If you're a government account versus um, you know or a um, Azure versus an AWS, you know, what sort of separates you from that perspective? So it was very much geared around sort of, um, you know, delivering on our sort of empathetic uh, experience that, that we believe customer experience is going to be uh, differentiated on. I love that. Yeah, because it's like everything has choices, right? Even when I click on the chat, I got four choices. When I try to get in contact with sales, I have five choices, right? Like there's all these choices and I just find it to be such a unique stance in a world that says no control control singular cta control control you're like okay what are we controlling if we're being honest right like i think we all know that personalization didn't deliver on the promise we all thought because the idea was well you can personalize every experience you know somehow magically know where they're at and who they are and you can create this perfectly custom experience with ever actually knowing who they are why they're here what they're doing and you took the opposite and said we can't we have different contexts, different clients with different needs, different realities and different stages of their journey. And we want them to be able to find what's best for them. And I, I thought that was really, really creative and, and really cool to see. Yeah, and we, you know, from our digital uh, campaign team, they've done a fantastic job too, where, you know, we've sort of created this sort of bifurcated um, approach. One that starts off with, uh, there are business trends, macro level business trends that are happening within our space. And so we'll present those sort of um, avenues available to you uh, because we don't know which one applies. But once you get there, you can be sort of self-directive on where you go. And then the response becomes tailored to continuing that discussion. Yeah. Um, and there's so there's one set of those that's sort of at the top end of the funnel, which is sort of you know around these macro level trends. And then as you engage with us, in terms of now, so getting into consideration selection phase, you know, you're now sort of looking at what are the specific um, requirements that you have that are aligned to that particular phase of the buying cycle, but also potentially which portfolio you is sort of aligning from a from a sort of portfolio selection perspective, yeah. um, because we then get into totally different. Um, so we don't treat this as sort of one continuous. Um, discussion, you know, sort of single threaded. We look at it as sort of a, a many to many. Like you can you can jump from one topic to another, or as you get into the process, you know, we're going to continue. We're going to sort of switch you into a different campaign strategy that helps you through your buying cycle. You know, the actual sort of elements of of software selection because those are irrelevant to what's happening. You know, from a um, from a uh, macro trends. That's about us, the company. And then it transitions into more of a buyer's guide, which helps you, you know, understand the different nuances of the different portfolios, what maps, how to implement it, etc. I love that. Now we're all, pretty much over time. I had to ask you because I've never seen anyone do it. Why are partners in your menu so much? Like so obviously, like no one does that. Like what's your like? What, why yes. partners right there? I'm just so curious. So 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 the the most important um, reason is, and it goes back to buyers again. Um, you know. We're in the world of customer experience. Well, customer experience is a sort of ecosystem approach. Like, you know, Salesforce, Microsoft, Google, 
they all play in this customer experience world with us. And so our ability to fit within a customer's ecosystem is really important to their understanding, you know, that the um, that we understand their world. We've got some customers that, that sort of are looking for an all-in-one solution, and we have a portfolio for that. And we have others that have got, you know, really entrenched relationships that are immovable, you know, to a large degree. And so making sure they understand where we fit within that ecosystem is critically important to um, that subset of uh, customers. I love it. I love it. I just thought it was so interesting. All this stuff is very, very unique, very different. And I was just genuinely, as a guy who does audits for a living, I was really impressed. So, so, so glad to have you on the show, John. If anyone um, wants to follow along with your journey in Genesis, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, probably LinkedIn. Um, yeah. Be, yeah. There you go. <laughs> I love it. Well, hey, man, thanks so much for being on the show. This has been phenomenal. And uh, for everyone out there, uh, if you want to learn more or hang out with myself or even one day maybe John will join, uh, check out Society. Uh, you can um, – any questions you have, you can DM me directly, uh, ask about. I'm always on there. Uh, it's a free Slack group for anyone in SaaS, uh, and hopefully you join. So thanks, everyone, and uh, that's Sour and SaaS. Appreciate it, Garrett. Thank you. Bye.